Our first lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you, some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain? If, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a story in the book of Acts 
After Jesus has risen and ascended and the gospel is going out towards all the world, there's a story about a fellow named Simon the Magician. Simon the Magician. Simon the Magus, as in Magi, like those wise men who came from the East, having studied the stars, astrology, having read old books of all kinds of prophecy, having tried to master the natural world, those wise men came from the East and they found the baby Jesus, just as the prophecies had said. They were magicians, for better or for worse. In their case, their magic was redeemed by God. It was redeemed by God because it brought them to the Son of God. But this fellow, Simon the magician, in the book of Acts, was not godly. In fact, he was thought by everyone around him who saw his magic tricks. They thought that he was divine, and he didn't do anything to stop them in thinking that. It was a good life for him to be a magician. But as the apostles came along, as Peter, the other Simon, came along and preached the gospel, and all kinds of miracles happened, and the good news spread around, Simon the magician heard... And he believed. He believed the promises of God. And that was a marvelous thing, to be rescued out of darkness and brought to light. But as the apostles carried on their ministry, they did a whole bunch of things to confirm the work of the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on the Christians in the area of Samaria, which is where Simon was practicing magic. They laid hands on them, and when they laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit fell and all kinds of miracles happened inexplicable things. Who knows really what they were? Maybe they spoke in tongues. Maybe they had healing miracles. Who knows what it looked like? But the Holy Spirit fell on them when the apostles laid their hands on them. And Simon the magician saw that. He thought to himself, that's some power right there. That's what I want. I want the ability to lay my hands on someone and have the Holy Spirit fall on them. Wouldn't that be marvelous? And so he went up to the apostles. He went up to Simon Peter and he said, here, how much will it cost me? have this power. Give me this power also, he said, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But he was offering to pay for something which can have no price attached to it because it is the free gift of God. And so Peter scolds Simon the magician. He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He thought he could obtain the gift of God with money which is an indication of the fact that although Simon the Magician believed, he was believing in sort of a sleepy kind of a way. This is the picture I want you to hold in your minds tonight. Simon the Magician was believing with kind of a haze over his eyes, kind of like waking up from sleep with the sleep still in your eyes, thinking that the dream was real, thinking that the dream was reality. And so although he's believed the gospel, he still believes also that things work the way the world says they should work. That if you want something good, you have to pay for it. That if you want something powerful, you have to give some silver or gold in exchange for it. That's how the world works, but that's not the way the kingdom of God works. Simon the magician still had this sleep in his eyes. He didn't realize that being a Christian was like having a splash of cold water on your face in the morning having your head dunked in a stock tank in the frigid cold of winter. That's actually what St. Paul describes to the Corinthians. You heard him tonight. He says, wake up from your drunken stupor. The Corinthians had the very same problem as Simon the magician. The sleep was still in their eyes. Although they had heard the gospel, 
Although they had believed it, although they had received the gift of God, they were still thinking that things work the way the world says they should work. And we've heard that all throughout the course of 1 Corinthians. We're now almost done. There are 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians. And every chapter to this point has been an instance of the sleep remaining in their eyes, this haziness, this drunken stupor, thinking that within the kingdom of God they can fight with one another over who has the best spiritual gifts, or that they can take each other to court and sue each other while they're still loving each other, or that they can commit all kinds of sexual sins and atrocities and still think that they're pure and holy. The sleep was still in their eyes. And today's lesson reveals what is perhaps the worst instance of that sleep still being in their eyes. Some of them were denying that the resurrection is going to happen. Some of them were denying that on the last day the angels will shout and there'll be the sound of a trumpet and the dead will be raised. Some of them were denying that resurrection is even possible. That's bad news for a Christian because, of course, the whole point of the Christian faith is resurrected life. So think about what the Corinthians were doing. They were picking and choosing which parts of the faith they wanted, which parts of the Christian life they wanted. And of course, there were some things that were good, some things they benefited from. Nice to have a community of people around them. Nice to have friends who share this common life with them. But look, there are some things that are a step too far, they thought to themselves. Some things that I would rather have in a worldly way. And the world does not act as if there's a resurrection. The world carries on as if there's going to be no resurrection. Instead, as if we must eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's what Paul says you should do if there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, we are wasting our time. Then we of all people, Paul says, are most to be pitied, not only because on the last day there's no hope for you and me, but because then Jesus, not even Jesus, has been raised from the dead, which means this whole thing's a fraud. It's all a lie from the beginning. Why are we wasting our time? But it's entirely possible for a Christian to fall into that kind of trap, to let the sleep remain in their eyes, to refuse to wake up from that drunken stupor, to snooze away, taking parts of Christianity, parts of the Christian faith, holding on to them, but letting the rest go. And so, in the end, really just pretending to believe, just pretending to be Christians. You see, Christianity is not just some variation on worldly life. It's not though, as though you enter into this world and there's a whole range of possibilities. You could be a Christian, you could be a Jew, you could be a Buddhist, you could be a Muslim, you could be a nothing at all. It's not as though there's just this range of choices to choose from and you could mix and match a little bit if you wanted to. It is much more truly like this. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you believe what's true or you believe lies. Either you are bound for eternity and eternal life, or you are bound for eternal death. Which means that being a Christian, trusting in Jesus, hearing his word, believing his promises, following his commands, that is true life, and everything else is a fraud. To live as though there is no resurrection of the dead, that's to live a lie. Of course, it's a convenient lie for those who do not want to face the judgment, a convenient lie. It makes life much more comfortable, but it's still a lie nonetheless. To be a Christian is to choose the truth and to live according to it. Paul points out how silly it would be <laughs> to try to be a Christian and think that there's no resurrection. He even points out this strange practice that apparently some Corinthians were carrying on, being baptized for the dead. 
a heretical practice, something that we have no reason to think is any good at all, and yet they were doing that. Paul says, why would you do that? Why would you do that stupid thing if you didn't believe there was a resurrection? They're dead. Just leave them alone. And yet you're being baptized for them. Clearly, you don't understand what's going on, Paul says. The resurrection, that's the core of our message. That's the core of what you received, Paul says. If you received it at all, that's what we preach to you. This important fact that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so also shall we be raised from the dead. That just as in one man, Adam, all deserve death, so also in one man, Christ, you have been given eternal life. That's our hope. Now, I think the reason why the Corinthians were so susceptible to this sleepiness, to this drunken stupor, is because we are accustomed in this life to all kinds of pretense and hypocrisy to all kinds of pretending. It's really the way that most people live their lives. Pretending that things are the way they want them to be. Pretending that one thing is true while another, quite the opposite, is true. Pretending that everything's okay when nothing is okay. Pretending that things are terrible when everything's actually quite fine. Pretending that you're one thing when you are actually another. That is what we are so used to in this life. In fact, it's really the only way that anyone can make it through life as an unbeliever, it's to pretend. It's to be a hypocrite, the Greek word for an actor. It's to be an actor. It's to act in this life that we are most accustomed to. But Christianity calls us to something different. Not a stage, but real life. Not a stage with pretense and lies, but truth and goodness and beauty. And that takes some getting used to. The way we get used to it is by rubbing the sleep out of our eyes, by a splash of cold water, by the good news, the refreshing hope of the gospel. Look, it is not worth pretending to be a Christian. Pretending to be a Christian is a waste of time. But being a Christian, believing God's promises and living according to them, that is life and hope and salvation. And it is far better, beyond measure, better than anything this world has to offer. Even the times that it hurts, even the times that it's painful, even the times that you look like a fool to your neighbors, to your family and friends for believing such silly things as God's word matters and the dead will be raised and that sin is sin and it should be avoided and temptation should be fled from and there is such a thing as righteousness and holiness. All of that is better, far better than living a life of sleepiness, living in a drunken stupor, living hopelessly. So think about this. In the days ahead, think about this in the course of your Christian life. Where does the sleep remain in your eyes? In what ways do we still just pretend to be Christians? In what ways do we need to awaken from our drunken stupor? Awaken. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. That's what Jesus says to us. Wake up. Real life is far better than the dream. Real life is far better than the haze and the fog. Real life is in Christ. Put your hope in that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.